We all discovered <laughs> that all you do is you would go to the cinema and you would hang around outside until some adult that you didn't know <laughs> came up and you'd say, excuse me, mister, would you take me into the pictures? And they'd go, all right. This week on Walking the Dog, I went out for a stroll with film critic, double bass player and owner of the UK's most impressive quiff, Mark Kermode. Mark took me out for a stroll in his manor, which is the staggeringly beautiful new forest, which has ponies roaming around. It's basically Narnia. And I fell absolutely in love with his adorable black Labrador, who's called Martha. Mark and I talked about his early love of cinema, the band he formed at school with David Baddiel, I know, his long-running, very successful relationship with Simon Mayo, and his fabulous new podcast, which is on ACAST, and it's called Kermode on Film, and I really recommend you give it a listen because it's so good. One thing I hope will stay with you forever after this podcast is a certainty about how to pronounce Mark Kermode's surname, because let me tell you, it's certainly something I'm not going to forget in a hurry. I really hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Here's Mark. So, Mark, am I not going to take this tennis ball thing? Well, we usually use that for out front. If, that mean, if we take that, it means we're not walking. But I mean, you're welcome <laughs> to chuck the ball out front for a little bit and then... But it's your, I, I, once you start, it's, you've got a whole... She won't stop easily. A whole world of pain. Yeah. I would leave it. Okay. <laughs> because if you take it on the walk, she won't bring the ball back. If you do it outside the front, she'll bring the ball back until you go on a walk. That's given me an insight. The way you gave me that advice has given me a great deal of insight to you as a person. Uh, okay. Which is uh, good. Which is that I think your I think it was measured advice. <laughs> measured. Which was basically saying, don't do that, you idiot. It's going to be a nightmare. Because if we look out, right, if you stand here and throw the ball, yeah. then she'll, she'll bring it back and that's fine. But that's what you do if you're not about to go for a walk. If you're about to go for a walk... You leave it there. So I know. So, so I accept you, and I think you're right. And I should say that when we're saying she will get the ball, we yes. are talking not about um, your wife or your ch children. Martha. This is Martha. Yes. I'm with Mark Kermode, I should say, which I'm very excited about. Now, I'm let me do this at fan. the beginning, because Kermode. Oh, okay. Kermode! So, no, but this, is, I, I th this goes on so much. Okay, so very, very simply, and everybody says Kermode, and so Kermode is a Manx name, okay? It is derived yep. from a shortening of McDiarmid. And actually, in the Isle of Man, which is where my mum and my grandparents are from, they say Kiamat. They oh. don't say Kermode, so they say Kiamat. Yeah. And it's always been this sort of source of great, you know, Kermode if you're on the Isle of Man and Kermode everywhere else, which drives my family <laughs> nuts. Oh. However, there is another, there's, well, there's Frank Kermode, who I yes. think got so used to being commode that he just sort of gave up but it is kermode and the easiest way of remembering it is like kermit and you know believe me <laughs> nobody gets it right but that's it and the actual proper pronunciation is kermit which you know i i'm never going to forget that now i'm yeah. going to get it right forever it's kermode kermode yeah that's very easy to remember and yeah, i hope I, anyone I, listening I, to this gets that right oh martha's already gone for a comfort break yes well so, the thing is that because we're in the forest so there's an awful lot of horse poo and she loves horse poo. So I'm going to start that again in a more respectful way. I'm with Mark Kermode. Thank you. And we're in the New Forest. In the New Forest. Which is where you live. It is. I mean, I sound like you're some... It's not sort of stick of the dump <laughs> dwelling in some <laughs> strange... You've got a lovely house a Lovely here. house in the New Forest, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a rider. Because yeah. there are all these ponies um, Ponies and horses and sometimes a year pigs. And they put them out for the acorns. Why, and what's the deal with the horses then? Why is that? Well, because it's a it, the new forest has got a, a large number. All the horses are owned, yeah. all owned by people, but you have uh, right. foresting rights and rights to put them out. And, um, and so, as you can see, they're they're all pretty. Oh. But although the, I mean, the weird one here, a little white one. Yeah. What does Martha? Martha doesn't. Well, she's she's grown up here, so she doesn't yeah. think twice about. Sometimes it's a bit odd if you bring if you bring other dogs down that have never seen horses. Yeah. You know, which of course there'd be a lot of things that they they will tend to sort of run through their legs, which is very bad because yes. you know because horses are, they look very lovely until the moment that they kick, at which point they're quite um you know. Yeah, no, you wouldn't like them when they were angry. No, I mean they don't even yeah. get angry. They just, as a matter of course, they'll just you know they'll buck if you get behind them. So you just need to be you just need to be a bit sensible. Yeah. About it, that's all. 
But and no, she's always got love around it, so she doesn't, you know. There's another one. I'm loving this. There's another little pony. And then sheep up the way. And then we used to have chickens. Oh, uh, long time ago. I've had the chickens for a while now, but Derek Outback's got chickens. So I'll have to get used to this, otherwise I'll be interrupting the podcast every five seconds okay. saying, Mark, there's a horse. No, there's another horse. No, but the thing is, it's nice because the weird thing is, if you live here, you can kind of get used to it. And then it takes other people coming down to go, wow, look, there's all that. And then you go, oh, yeah. And yes. then you forget that because if you, you know what it's like. If you live yeah. around stuff, yeah. it sort of becomes normalised. It's like people saying, oh, the Tower of London. And you're like, I've never been. What's <laughs> oh, yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we talk me through Martha. The, she's Black Labrador. Black Lab, yes. And how, long, how old is Martha? So Martha, I think, must be about... 11, I mean, she's she's very sprightly for her age. She looks great. She, yeah, but she gets a lot of exercise. So um, yeah. So we've always had dogs. Before Martha, there was uh, Betty very briefly. Billy, who was uh, my collie, who was just absolutely lovely. Yeah. Um, and so we, yeah, we've had, because I mean, the thing is, it's, if you're in the forest, it, it would seem like a crime not to have a dog because it's so great for walking. Plus, it means you get out and you walk even if it's, raining or cold or whatever because the dog doesn't care the dog just goes yeah it's fine it is it is walk time so yeah yeah what, exactly. so what have you got have you so i've got a um i've got well he's meant to be a shih tzu he's not i mean he is quite a london dog right. do you know what i mean so shih tzu's I, the little he's quite small yeah. yeah i think martha would look at him and think oh what are you come on <laughs> you're like a rabbit that i chase <laughs> But he's very good-natured yeah. and, and sweet. And I think there's all sorts of other weird stuff in him as well. I don't think he's just a shih tzu. You know, when dog walkers, and I don't know if you get that so much around here, because you don't, you know, I suppose there's slightly less footfall and you probably know people, but I do get a lot of angry, very well-preserved pensioners saying to me, I don't think that is a shih tzu, you know. Oh, really? I think there's... Oh, okay, okay. There's a, there's a wolfhound that a friend of ours has down here now. Um, she's, she's always had wolfhounds and... After the last one passed, she got her, a young one, so it's now sort of fairly small. When yeah. full grown, bigger than the. There's a couple of Shetland ponies around here, and the, horse, the wolfhound is bigger than the Shetland ponies. And then wow. there's a large poodle, and then there's a couple of corgis just in there, and then there's another Labrador up here. I like corgis because I've got short legs, and so and so have they. And I really, I really bond with them over that. But they're meant to be quite snappy. Um, yeah, they were right. So when you say, so you, Martha, so it's you and your wife and, and my kids. you've got two kids two haven't kids, you yeah yeah and and they, uh, they're still at home aren't they well yes although yeah. they're they're kind of on the point of leaving because they're sort of late teenagers so that's, yeah yeah you know so uh but yeah we're all we're all here i met linda when i was in manchester and linda was briefly in manchester in the 1980s and then and you're at university we, weren't you yeah i was at university there and she she was at sussex and she came to do some postgraduate thing oh, there too, yeah. and then um i was down in when we got married, I was down in London. She was living in Liverpool, but I was also working in Manchester. And then she got a job in Southampton. So we thought she's a professor of film. Professor isn't of film, she? yeah. So we thought we'd come down and look. And she used to come to the forest on holidays when she grew up. She was, grew up in Bristol. All right. She used to come here to campsites. And so we came. And I'd always lived in town. I mean, I'd lived in you know Barnet in London yeah. and then in, in Manchester. And I'd always said, well, I'm not going to live in the country. <laughs> and uh, but then of course. You know, sort of fell in love with it, and I don't. And people say, "Oh, you know, it's a long way to commute in, isn't it?" And you go, "Not really. You get work done on the train." Yeah. Um, you know, it's it. And I, I do, I love it here. I absolutely love being here. It's good for the soul. And also, it's funny because there's just a few doors down from me. There's Mike, who's involved with the the New Forest film development thing, ah. and they're trying to develop the forest as a sort of film location thing. And they it's asked beautiful, this. Yeah. This is why it's funny that you said Narnia because I had always said. Yeah. I'd always describe this as Narnia. People say, where do you live? I say, well, I live in oh, Narnia. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, how interesting. And so when they were doing the film New Forest launch thing, Mike said, you know, can we use that phrase? Can we use the, the, the Narnia thing? So they ended up saying, they used, ended up calling it through the wardrobe and then they had this interview with me saying it is like living in Narnia, which oh, started wow. as a joke, but it is. because the It thing really is, has that sense, Mark. When, I, when you step in here, you feel like... Yeah, it's it's slightly it is out slightly out of this world. Yeah, and honest. imagine if at the end of a working day you get on the train and you watch Waterloo moving away from you, and an hour and a half later you're in this. I mean, as I said, I used to live in Barnet. It used to take about an hour to get in from Barnet. I figure if you're going to travel yeah. an hour, you might as well travel an extra twenty-five minutes and end up somewhere that isn't Barnet. You know. Well, do you know? I, want I mean, to anywhere ask you. that isn't Barnet. <laughs> 
I knew that. I grew up in North London, so I'm familiar with the Barnet Odeon. Oh, fine, fine, fine. So where, we where used to have up? a joke, and my sister would always say, oh, no, the boys at the Barnet Odeon. Was, was. So I grew up in Highgate. Okay. So not far, but it's interesting because... So you're near the Phoenix in East Finchley, yeah. which used to be the Rex, obviously. And which what, I yeah. know was your sort of cinema paradiso. Yeah, I've, I mean, it still is. I still love that place. Well, I was interested, so Mark, when I heard this about you, because for some reason... And I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. and But I'm really embarrassed to admit this. I just assumed you were like Mancunian or no, something. No, 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 no. I'm in North London, born yeah. and bred. No, no. I was in Manchester for eight years, six years, seven years, something like that. In the 80s. Most of the 80s, I was in Manchester. But no, no, yeah. I grew up in uh, I grew up in Barnet. Um, I went to Haberdasher School in um, Elstree. Which is where David Badil went. Yeah, so David and I were in a band... I just wrote this book. This love to. Yes, I've read your book. Yeah, so, I really oh, loved right, it. Thank you. So there's this whole thing about, actually, the best thing is, if we go up onto this, then it gets less uh, damp underfoot. She's fine. She'll just... Okay. Yeah. Um, um, please yeah. tell me more about the David Baddiel band, because I'm obsessed by this. It was... Well, David was a year below me. So he was in the, the same year as a guy called Rick, who was also who played guitar, whose father was a composer, and I think composed for films. Yeah. And, you know, every, everybody was in a band, and I desperately wanted to be in a band, and I couldn't do very much, and I ended up building electric guitar. But Dave Badil had this Columbus copy Strat, and he was a really good guitarist. Really? And so, yeah, he really good. And so, oh, do you know what? He'll be so happy hearing this. Oh, no, he knows, because I, <laughs> I sent him copies of the book when I was writing oh, it, which I said all this to make sure that it was all... Because one yeah. of the things I did when I was doing the book was to get in touch with everybody who I'd named to yeah. make sure that it was right because I think you know you, yeah. you owe it to them and so I sent him this thing and said is this is this a fair account of how you remember it yeah and then I found that photograph of me and him and Rick I mean I must he must have been about 12 or 13 I must have been 14 or something but so we were in a but we never played any gigs we rehearsed a lot and then he says I don't remember this but he says that we threw him out of the band and the way that we threw him out was that one day he came to school and we said, oh, we're not doing the band anymore. And then the next day we re reformed without him under a different name. And I don't remember that as being the case, but he said it has the ring of truth about it. You know, it's a... That sounds it's, so fabulously passive-aggressive. Yeah, I love it. And he's, he's carried it with him for years. So then David was then in a band called Room 101. And somewhere up in my attic, I've got some tapes that we did... With Spark Plug, which I think I've found, but the thing is, what I don't have at the moment is a, is a tape called a Revox reel to reel to play them on. So mm. David has said, if you find any of them, they actually are us. Can I have <laughs> copies of them? So yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. So, so that was, so that was, and uh, who else was that? Oh, Jason Isaacs, of course. Jason oh, Isaacs yeah. was in my class, so that's how, yeah. I, that's how I sort of know Jason. Although I didn't know him when I was in class with him. Right, okay, um, yeah. I mean, I knew him, but I knew we didn't speak because he was much too cool. And was then, he? Well, I thought I so. I think of you as being cool, though, Mark. Okay, so this is the thing. So what happened is, when I wrote It's Only a Movie, I wrote this thing about being in awe of Jason Isaacs. Because Jason, there's three things I remember about Jason, right? Firstly, he used to wear trainers to school, which nobody else did. That was very cool. Yeah. Secondly, he was the first person to have a skateboard. He didn't just have a skateboard. <laughs> he had a fiber flex with green kryptonic wheels, <laughs> which was a big deal. And then he was the first person I ever heard swear in an English lesson. <laughs> And I remember this really clearly because... You can say what it is, by the way, relax. You know, it's fine. There was an advert. I can't remember what it was an advert for, yeah. maybe spread or something. Yeah. And it ends up with uh, uh, the, the wife of the family has made sandwiches for all these sports fans that come over. And somebody says, you know, hooray for the team. And somebody else says, never mind the team, who made the sandwiches, right? So, right. Then it, comes, so, so it was a sandwich spread thing. Yeah. Anyway, who made the sandwiches became a thing that people said. And Jason wrote an essay, which he then read out in class, which included the phrase of, I remember this really clearly, cries went up of absolutely, hooray, and who made the bloody sandwiches? And I had never heard somebody swear in class before. And I bloody. laughed so much that I thought I was going to get thrown out of class. And I, re I reminded Jason of this. He Does he remember no, it? No, no. Because what he says is yeah. that my memory of this can completely turns the truth upside down he wow. says he was i mean not not he admits that i he no, may no, have written that it's, essay it's your it's but how you your perception yeah, of he it. he says he wasn't cool he was really scared he'd come down from liverpool he was he felt like a fish out of water the reason yeah. he didn't speak to anybody wasn't because he was too aloof it's because he didn't have friends he's only he was friends with a guy called kevin who i knew as well who was in a 
kind of punk band later on. Yeah. But well, he says that, Kevin was one. yeah, he was basically saying he wasn't cool. What he was was terrified. And he said, you were cool, you were in a band. And I said, Jason, yeah. this is ridiculous. Yeah. This was never the case. Was, you were the cool kid. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so we both thought that the other one was. I think he's slightly embellishing it now for, 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 because obviously now he's the most handsome man on earth. You know? <laughs> um, so I think he's being going Should this way. Should we go here? Yeah, I'm doing a... I a love route. that story because it just tells me that actually when you realise... You know, it's only when you get to sort of, you know, our vintage that you speak to people and you realise ev- no one thought they were cool. Everyone was yes, cripplingly shy it. and yeah. just had, you know, kind of trying to find their own identity. Yeah. And Everyone was putting it on. I yeah. mean, this is what he says. I still, I can still picture him in my mind being the coolest kid in school. But, you know, I take And he his... looked at you and thought, look at that guy. Did you have your quiff then, Mark? Uh, well, at some points, yeah. I mean, there were pictures of me in, in school when I've got sort of floppy fringe. Because you were getting into the sort of rockabilly Yeah, that thing. was sort of when I was about sort of 16 onwards. But up until then, I was just a kind of a morass of hair and acne, really. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the sort of the quiffy thing didn't happen until I was about sort of 16, I think. And what was your... Was your mum a GP, Mark? Yes, mum was a GP. And what was your childhood like, like where you lived? Very happy. Um, yeah. We grew up in... So my mum was a GP. My dad worked for the London Hospital in Whitechapel. This is another thing. People imagine that I'm related to Frank Kermode and I'm not. Yeah. I'm not in any... I mean, the only way in which I'm related to Frank Kermode is that he's called Kermode, so he's from the Isle of Man. Actually, he is from the Isle of Man. Yeah. So... We should say, of, if anyone doesn't know who that is, that he so is... So Frank Kermode is a great sort of literary professor. And historian, is he? Yes, yeah, so yeah. You know, yeah. anyway, so he's a very, very respected yes. literary figure who I have never met. So I grew up in North London, and my mum's GP, my dad worked at the London Hospital in Whitechapel. Yeah. I went to little C of E primary up Finchley Central Way. And then to Habs, and then, uh, and then that's when I started playing in bands. Yeah. So that was, there's a lot of, how does it feel is about being in bands in North London, because there was a lot of bands in North London. I was friends with a guy called Saul Rosenberg, who was the bassist in our band, and he used to be affiliated to Warm Lane Synagogue. So we would rehearse at Warm Lane Synagogue on Sundays. And actually most of the places that we rehearsed mm. were synagogues, because they would let us have them on Sundays, which was really nice. You know, it was a lot of mapping, yeah. mapping your gigs out by, Which synagogue? by synagogues <laughs> or, you know, by Bernays Institute, that sort of thing. I imagine, yeah, because you seem... This way? Okay, this, go way? this way, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so a sort of loop that's seem, avoiding yes. the puddles. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So you seem quite a... You know, you're a very articulate and very curious person. <laughs> curious. And would you say... I get the sense of you probably growing up in an environment, you know, where there was discussion around the kitchen table or ideas were discussed and movies and culture. And was that your background or...? Uh, you see, I don't, rem- I don't remember that as being the case, partly because my mum and dad were both working all the time. So other than weekends, there was very little time that everyone ate together. You know, mum would go out in the morning and she had, you know, like a, you know what a slow cooker? Yeah. So she, in the morning, she'd go out first thing and she'd put a bunch of stuff in the slow cooker and then we'd go off to school because it took an hour and a half to get to school, bear in mind. You know, it was a walk and then a train and then a coach. Right. So you'd get back home at 5.30 and there'd be food. So, so, that, so during the week, there was quite often weeks in which, you know, you, your paths crossed very tangentially. Yeah. We would always go to the Bull and Bush or something like that on a Sunday. I mean, the main thing actually was the music. My dad, yeah. had, my dad was really interested in jazz, and uh, still is really interested in jazz. Yeah, and had this huge collection of Jelly Roll Morton records, and I think it's probably more that the school itself, because you know, Habs was very competitive. You know, but it was a yes, lot. Yes, I get was, that impression. That school. it was a lot of kind of quite. Well, Matt Lucas was there, wasn't he as well? Yes, I th- I think, not the same Sasha time Baron I was. Cohen, I think, yeah. But yes, uh, again, not Slightly so late as I was. Yeah, I think his. His, one of his younger brothers was there when I was there. Um, but that's what I mean. There seems to be a school that produces a lot of these cultural outliers in a way. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, I, as a teenager, I always felt really awkward and like a fish out of water. Um, mm. But then Jason did as well. Yes. And then actually, I imagine that's probably what everybody thinks. Yeah. Um, I do know, because Linda um, grew up in Bristol, went to comp, and, and Linda will sometimes say, yeah, you are such a... <laughs> You know, you are such a product of that. Really? Yeah, because, you know, that thing about, you know, feeling like you have the right to say what you think at the moment you think it, which I think is unfair but probably true. <laughs> you know? It's that sense of, I've, yeah, I've got a right to 
have a seat at the table. Yeah, isn't that terrible? But, yeah, you know, but, but then anyway, I don't anyway. think it's terrible. I think everyone should have that. Yeah. Everyone should be given that sense of... Yeah. Oh, listen, don't get me wrong. I mean, look, yeah. I, am very, I am really appreciative. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I went to a nice school. I had a lovely education. And then I went to Manchester yeah. in the years of grants in which I not only your got... university a, education. University. Yeah. I not only got three years of grant to do um, undergraduate, I got three years of grant to do a PhD. Yeah. From the, so I mean, you know, nowadays... Which was on horror? It was on horror fiction, yeah. Not films, horror fiction. Okay. But nowadays, people go to university and they come out with, you know, thirty, forty thousand pounds worth of debt. Yeah. I did six years at university and I didn't come out of it with debt. In fact, by the time I finished the postgraduate, I was working at City Life magazine. So, and that's and I mean, how you sort of got into your career. Yeah, yeah not sort of. Was, that, that is yeah, how it, it began. It was a direct yeah. route, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because City Life was a workers' co-op and so they... They basically would take on... Hang on, let me just check. Mother! No, she's fine. She's just done. Oh, yes. I love her. What a I just sweet briefly saw, couldn't hear her footsteps. Um, yeah, so they were a workers' co-op, so they would allow anybody to do anything if they were bolshy enough. So I just turned up one yeah. morning on their doorstep and said, I want to write. And they said, well, we don't, you know, we, we don't need writers. C- can you drive? And I said, yes, I can, because I had a driver's license because I the first when I finished school I applied to five universities I got five flat rejections from all of them so I took a year working somewhere else I was working white job for a year yeah and I got into Manchester through clearing and in that year I'd learned to drive which was I had a, like a Hillman imp so I could drive so I then <gasps> I why did you have a Hillman imp no but I used to look at them and I remember saying to my parents I said I'm really sorry Mark I hope you're not offended by no, this but I said that is the most disgusting car I've ever seen. And also the most, the most pointless car because <laughs> the engine's in the back. And so the front of the car hasn't got any weight in it. So if you <laughs> yeah. drive along at any speed, which you couldn't anyway because it's a tiny engine. If you drive along at any speed, the front bounces up and yeah. down and it's got, it's got no grip. So it's actually it look, Yeah, I looks can remember terrible. just looking at it thinking, it really distressed me just aesthetically. I found it quite offensive. Yeah, but I, I just, now... Aesthetically, I kind of liked no, it, but it's just, now it, was I very, do. it was a very kind of difficult car to, to keep in a straight line. I think it just reminded me of a sort of like Coronation Street old man car, like sort of Albert Tatlock, yeah, but that's quite, which I love that's now. Quite, exactly, that's quite yeah, a cool thing. Of course, I love that I, quite, I mean, I, I remember my, <laughs> my sister once, she <laughs> was this bloke... And he was he was trying to sort of you know impress her, and uh, is your sister older or younger? My sister's older than me. Yeah, Annie, yeah. And um, uh, and she said, I said, she said, oh this this guy, and I said, well what about him? And she said, he didn't sound he didn't sound very cool. And then she said, but the thing about him is, he's got a Chevy. <laughs> I said, what do you mean he's got a Chevy? She said, he's got a Chevy. I said, he what, he lives in North London. And he's got a Chevy. And she went, yeah, he's got a Chevy. And I went, God, I, really? And then. <laughs> About a, so three or four days later, she didn't have anything more to do with him because I think he was a bit... Yeah. Three or four days later, I, he drove past it. It wasn't a Chevy, it was a, Chev, a Chevette, you know, a Vauxhall Chevette, right? So this guy had told my sister that a Chevette was a Chevy. And of course, God bless her, she didn't know anything about cars, but she went... Well, he's a bit of an idiot, but he has got a Chevy. I've heard it in all these American Vauxhall pop songs. Chevette, yeah, can you imagine I mean that, Don McLean <laughs> driving to the levee in a Vauxhall Chevette? It doesn't have quite the quite the same <laughs> Because Mum and Nissan Micra was in the garage. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. That's so, a brilliant story. So that was... Uh, so, yeah, um, so, then I went to Manchester. That yeah, so you went to Manchester. And then once you got into... I mean, you must have had a passion. You mentioned going to the Phoenix yes. cinema in East Finch. Which, which was the wreck when I first went to it. It was the Rex, and then it, yes. then it then it then it became the Phoenix. I mean, I'm sure you've been asked this so many times, Mark. What was your first film? What did you? What was your first experience? The first of? thing I remember, although I don't know whether We're it's going the, over a bridge I don't now. Know it's very it's exciting. That's uh, it's, it's a it's a it's a railway uh, yeah. sleeper. Linda was walking across that once, and our our previous dog yeah. ran past and knocked her off. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you told me that after yeah, yeah. after I'd <laughs> safely made it across. The first film I remember seeing was Krakatoa East of Java. Now it's possible that I had seen something else beforehand, but I don't remember it. That's what yeah. I remember. And I At remember the cinema is this. Yeah, the yeah. cinema. I remember my mum taking me to see Krakatoa East of Java. And I remember thinking, this is brilliant, this is where I want to spend the rest of my life. And then very quickly, because you said you remember the Barnet Odeon. Yeah. So very quickly I got to the point that I would go to the Barnet Odeon on my own because I could cycle there from where we live. Right. You had a choice. If you cycled, you had money for sweets. If you got the bus, you only had money for the ticket. 
So you'd, so you'd cycle, and then you remember they used to, well, again, I'm old yeah, than you, no. they used to have little boxes of chocolate raisins. I do remember, like, you yeah. Know, 7p, you could get two of them. Yes, the equivalent of like poppets now, I believe. Yeah. Poppets, poppets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love and, uh, and so I used to go to the Barnet and I would see anything that had a U or an A certificate. It used to be that the A you had to go with a parent, but then of yes. course we all discovered <laughs> that all you do is, this is crazy, you would go to the cinema and you would hang around outside until some adult that you didn't know. <laughs> Came up and you'd say, "Excuse me, Mister, would you take me into the pictures?" <laughs> and they'd go, "All right." Yeah. And that was considered to be a safer alternative to letting the kids just going in on their own. Well, that was a thing I used to go to. It was the Hampstead Classic. It was called. Yeah, and That yeah. was in. Now it's obviously a sort of way. Was it the Classic? Or was it the Ionic? I, maybe it was the okay. one in South End Green. I'm thinking of. Sorry, this is probably if you don't okay, know North so, London. Well, Golders Green is an Ionic. Then in Hampstead. You know what I love about Mark? He knows his cinemas. There's a, I tell you, there's a site, there's a, there's a website that I found, and it's pictures of cinemas that people took when they, you know, that they've just all uploaded, and then people say, oh yeah, I remember that, that was the, that was the ABC. Do you, like, do you go to that website a lot? Uh, yeah, I love it. It's, Does uh, Linda say, I've seen your history, you've been going on that <laughs> cinema right. website again. It, but it's the most brilliant thing, because quite often, you forget, you know, like... That my, so what you have to do here is this. You have to go this I'm way. I'm following you. Yeah, sorry, it's just you have to go. But you know what? You have to understand, for me, for me, all this sort of muddy marsh walk is so exciting. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm loving it. This morning it was frozen. Oh, so, I know. love it. So, yeah, so you go, you, because you forget what the cinemas look like. So the Gaumont, which used to be the one that I went to in North Finchley, was the most fantastic, really beautiful thing. Yeah. And there's loads of photographs of inside inside of it. Anyway, so that's what so yes. yeah, so I went to the cinema a lot when I was a kid and I went on my own a lot. That, do you and think that's quite unusual, Mark? Cuz I do. Um, and I think that shows you as slightly other in a not in a negative other. way. <laughs> no, but I think slightly other in that I think outliers often are like that. I think people who make go on to make what some do you sort mean? of you so you've said that word before. What okay, does an outlier I think, mean? To me, that's someone who that thinks, sounds like a like a like a it sounds like a vanguardist. <laughs> I think it means that you view the world in a slightly different place and you sort of stand out a little bit. Architects, cultural architects, social architects. Yeah. Which I would say you are a cultural architect, and I would say <laughs> the fact that you would get, you laugh at that. Why? <laughs> it's like you know, I, I, because it, I just think it's funny um, because I'm just some. I'm, because all it is, it's, it's another way. So I don't mean to demean your analysis, but it's another way of saying you're a bit odd and you didn't fit and you went to the pictures a lot, you know. I mean, I love the fact that there's a name for it. It's <laughs> oh, look. So what we've got here is Martha... Will you explain what's happened? Martha has met another much more well-behaved Labrador. Hello. <laughs> she won't do that for me. Beautiful, Avador. You know, I had a uh, treat in my pocket. Yeah, yeah, and and now she will follow you home. <laughs> well, she came in the other day to see Viv, so oh. this is Viv's dog. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, much better behaved than Martha. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. Oh. He's going to be a bit, he's, um... uh, Henry! Would you... He's fine. Hello, Henry. Henry's got a lot of energy. Yeah, Henry's younger. Yeah, he's only about five or six. Yes. And also the mud shows up on you, Henry, yes, which it doesn't it on does. Martha. Yeah. Nice to see you. <laughs> Martha. Hello. At least my dog doesn't show the dirt. <laughs> no, that's Viv's dog. So, <laughs> no. she's like, so Viv, lives, Viv lives in the house that we used to live in, and we live oh. in the house that Viv used to live in. Appropriately, we're in a sort of like romantic poets thing where we're standing over the bridge. And it's oh, no, it's not romantic. It's like, it's poo sticks. Do you think that's what it is? It's like it Winnie the like Pooh. Poo no, I just meant we're sort of contemplating nature. No, no, I know, but, but it's not the thing that you think when you think, look at this bridge and that stream. Poo sticks. There is running water. There yes. is a bridge which you can do exactly what you're doing, which is stand up on one rail to look over. And then there's a the thing which you can't see and it comes out the other end. It's, I love it's it. a poo sticks bridge. Which Winnie the Pooh character are you, Mark? Oh, God. <laughs> Eeyore, I imagine. Are you? I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, there, there's a joke that Simon Mayo is Eeyore. <laughs> because Simon, you know, Simon is always, you know, that kind of glass. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I'm probably, I'm probably Tigger, actually. Are you? Yeah, I think I'm quite... I mean, like, you know... I, uh, I think maybe you're Eeyore with a rising tigger. <laughs> Eeyore with a rising tigger. So you've got all these... You've got these phrases. What was the thing you used before? 
what was that thing you said? I called you an outlier. An outlier. Yeah. An outlier just sounds like somebody who lies but does it a lot. You know, like no. an outlier. You know. I it's think like if you, you read, I've got that brazen from, outlier. No, that's from the Malcolm Gladwell book. Okay. And whatever you think. So of you're him, making you're making the fundamental error of imagining that I'm well read. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's from the Malcolm Gladwell book, okay. and it's about the idea that people who sort of go on to achieve stuff, which I feel when I say that to you, you're, you're kind of slightly in denial about that. No, I'm not. In de- Look, I, believe me, I will take compliments wherever okay, they good. are offered. Okay? But and not I outlier. Th- and I think, just because it's not a thing I, that I know, but I mean, I think you mean it as a good thing. So I I'll, really so, do. Okay, then I'll take okay. it as a, as a yes. Then. It's a really good thing. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Martha's in the stream. Yeah. Oh, she's, you know, the, the, she's having the, the time of her life. She is. And she, the, thing, the thing that she's particularly delighted about is that I, I had to walk her this morning anyway. So she's kind of done this the long one already. And she's not entirely sure why she's getting the long one again. She's getting the bonus walk. Yeah. She's like, I didn't expect this. So after you used to cycle and yeah. you'd go yeah, and yeah. see movies. Yeah. And you sort of decided, did you have that thing when you were younger of thinking, right, this is it for me. I sort of want to do what I love and this is what I love I want to, in some way I want to be involved in this world I knew that the two things that I wanted to do was to watch films and be a pop star and I thought that they were probably both equally either attainable or unattainable so while I was at school I was doing the you know building guitar being in bands all that stuff and in fact I never stopped doing that I've always carried on being in bands but when I got to Manchester it became evident that actually watching films for a living wasn't completely out of out of mm. grasp. And you've got to remember, I mean, it's the 1980s. You know, it was a very weird time. Um, you know, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of political turmoil. There was a lot of political activity in Manchester, which I really, you know, which I love being involved in. But there was also a sense that you you would you'd make your own career path. So City yeah. Life was a workers' co-op which was a big deal and people were freelance and I've always been a freelancer I've mm. been a, you know I'm 56 now and I've freelanced my whole life I've never had a you know um, I've never been employed I've only yeah. ever been self-employed and I think there is a sort of it was more that I decided that that it, that I could get by doing the things that I like doing so yeah. when I, by the time I finished Manchester I was writing film reviews for City Life and I was playing in this band the Railtown Bottlers who actually had a very good career busking yeah. And you earned money busking. Yeah. And so you could earn enough from writing freelance reviews and busking to get by. And that mm. was really, that was it. And all that happened was that just carried on. So there wasn't a kind of Pauline moment of thinking, I'll do this. It was just that it became evident that it was possible. And it was at least as possible to do that as it was to do anything else. Right. Because... You know, there was the employment situation was a bit weird anyway, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to go into teaching because I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that sharp, um, and so I just wanted. I mean, honestly, the what I wanted to do was just carry carry on doing what I was doing, and when mm. you know, and when the state had finished being nice to me and allowing me the British Academy, you know, I'd finished my PhD. By that point, I was I was earning as a freelance journalist and a busker. And that went on for a few years. I mean, it was, you know, and it was really good. It was, I came down to London and we were busking down here and I was writing reviews down here. And it was just one thing just led on to another. So it was, there was never a point of thinking, this is what I'll do. I, it was just yes, sort of Yes, you didn't happening. have that Nicole Kidman in To Die For. I will be a TV I, presenter. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's it's on air weather person. I love that. Yeah, on air weather person. On air weather person. Yeah. I absolutely love that song. Yeah, it's. I love it. So, but it's a best I say to sometimes sort of you know millennials, or I say, you've, do you have you not seen it? And of course, I suppose it's not part. They're not as culturally aware no, of that. No, it didn't and, do well. It did didn't it not? Well. No, we did it. Funnily enough, when I was at Radio One, when I was the film critic at Radio One, we did it as a. Okay, Which right, would have been around that time, mid nineties. Yeah, here is a telling story. Yeah. Right. We used to do this thing, which was we would choose a movie of the month, and we would organise screenings. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I loved to die for, I thought it was really great. And I said, we've got to do this film. And the powers that be at the BBC went, mm, really? And I went, yeah, it's great. People will love it. So they went, okay, but we're going to sell it as a Matt Dillon film. And they said, you know, get tickets to the new Matt Dillon film, not the new Nicole Kidman film. Well, mm. Matt Dillon is in it, yeah. but it's a Nicole Kidman film. He plays somebody who falls in love with her yeah. and she then 
she then you know takes her on. It's a kind yeah. of film noir. It's you know it, it has certain bits of truth in the exactly, back of it. Exactly. Yeah. But the point is, is it's not a Matt Dillon film. Yeah. It's a Nicole Kidman film. So, but they also they thought that Matt Dillon was was famous and Nicole Kidman wasn't, which is really bizarre. I because know, now, you know, so Nicole Kidman is. Yeah, yeah. really anyway, I thought it was a great film. Oh, oh I love that movie. Person. But that was, so that was Radio One. One, was when you first started working with Simon Mayo. Yeah, so I was at, I'd done Radio Five with Danny Baker, and Matthew Bannister said to Simon, if you're looking for a film critic, there's this guy in Radio Five, why don't you try working with him? So yeah. I came in and I did, I think, I don't even think we did a test, I think we just started. Because Matthew, because Simon had huge faith in Matthew, and which I'm eternally grateful. Yeah. And that was it. And that was the beginning of that. And that's just rumbled on ever since. With, with the only interruption in that has been when in 1998 or 99, I left Radio 1 because I felt that I was too old. Because by that point, I was twice the age of the average listener. And then the next year, Simon left and went to Radio 5. And he, then he gave me a job at Radio 5. And so we picked up again. So there was a brief hiatus when we didn't work together, which he refers to as my wilderness years. As I keep <laughs> pointing out to him, in the time that he refers to as my wilderness years, I was actually fully employed making documentaries for Channel 4. Because you weren't with him. <laughs> exactly. Weren't you doing the culture show then as well? No, no, that was years oh, that was later. later. Was years yeah. later. So Here he is, refers yeah. to that as my <laughs> wilderness years because it was, the, it was the 18 months that I wasn't with him is since that period that we started working together. And people often ask about your relationship with him in terms yeah. of the sort of, you know, the chemistry you have and... We get on very well, but we get on very well by... But it's sort of beyond that in a way. In that I think you can get on well with people, but you wouldn't want to... Li- you know, I've got friends. I wouldn't want to listen to them for two hours talking <laughs> together. There's something... Well, I tell you... There's what... an authenticity, I think, where, where I feel, you know, there's sometimes... And people often say things like... Oh, they sound like they're pissed off with each other. You know, I know. I, know. Weird. Some, I, yeah. I know some people say, God, do they really hate each other? <laughs> and sometimes I read to God, God, Simon, God, you could, could you could hear the, con-, you know. and it's, the, I think the, the, the thing is, right, it is completely organic because for, for the first however many years that we were working together, we never saw each other outside of a studio. Yeah. I would come in and do the film review. He was doing the programme already. I'd come in, do the bit and then leave. So I wouldn't see him outside of it. And then years, I mean, now we know each other because it's been going on forever. But, um, but it, you know, so all that stuff about the, the ground rules of your relationship was all laid down on air. The bridge. And for yeah. a long time, you have to be careful about Martha knocking you off. Oh, for yeah. a long time, the only things we ever said to each other were on air because we didn't see each other. We don't live in, the, he lives in London and I live down here. I mean, I still think that the, 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 the magic of it is him because I think that he's the best radio broadcaster in the country. I think there's a reason why. Like when he was, he announced he's doing this, this new thing where there's you know hats in the air and all that hoopla. Yeah. Because the fact is, people really like him and they really like listening to him. And they, from my point of view, it was brilliant because it meant that I could say whatever I wanted, and he would then make it palatable for a mainstream listener. Because he would do that thing about what? What do you mean? Who's that? What do you mean, Bunuel-esque? You know, he always said that his role was Corrick. Um, you know, that he, he was the person who went, I'm sorry, I have got no idea what that is. Even if he did, although I once said to him, you know, I love the fact that you, I did say it was, you know, it's like Bunuel. And he said, what, what does that mean? And I said, well, you know, it's like Bunuel. And he said, no, who's Bunuel? And I went, oh, really? So then I had to explain <laughs> what I meant. And then I said afterwards, you know, was, that was really clever because I realised that what you were doing was, of course, you know who Bunuel is. You were doing that on behalf of listeners. He said, no, I literally didn't know who Bunuel was. So, so... Even the bit that I had thought was brilliantly contrived wasn't. Yeah. It was completely... I find, Mark, I work on a show with Frank Skinner, and I oh, find... Oh, OK, fine. So yeah, we, well, we do a breakfast show, but what's yeah, yeah. interesting with Frank, I'd never anticipated this, just that sort of... People always come up with that cliche, oh, it's intimate, it's intimate, it feels different, people feel like they know you. But to me, that really is the case, because I think... You're talking, but you don't have that sense of being observed, which makes you self-conscious. What, you mean when we're doing that show? Yeah, when you're doing the show. Yes, and I know you, you're... I've watched some of your things, so I know you're on YouTube now and oh, there's sure, sure. webcam. No, but I would say that that is down to Simon. Because the thing, the thing you have to remember with that radio show is I talk to Simon and Simon talks to the listeners. Yeah. And that's how I see it. I, I don't know what that relationship was like with you and Frank, but I always feel that I'm talking to him and he's talking to them. Right. And he, he is perfect at doing that thing about, 
or every listener feels that you're talking to them individually yeah. and therefore he's got this enormous audience of individuals but I just talk to him so when I'm doing the reviews I'm saying them to him yeah. and then he's kind of doing the, the thing and, and believe me I am so grateful for it because there is no way that somebody as nerdy and as yeah, you know as I am would have got anywhere like the career that I've managed if it, if it hadn't been for Simon being the, the, the per, being the portal through which it passes. When you say you're nerdy, yeah, I mean you're obsessive about detail. You know, I mean I was I'm you know, but I worry about detail right. and I angst about Do you? Oh god, yeah. What oh, sort of thing? Everything. So in a daily life, what what would you worry about today? What have you worried about today, for example? Okay, so this morning I woke up and the first thing I worried about was whether or not I had spelt the name of the cinematographer in uh, what's called Destroyer correctly. Yeah. And then I worried about whether what I had written about the Oscar thing was correct. And then I worried about getting the car in time to go and see my mum to come back to do this. Yeah. But it's fine, it's just detail, you know, it's a... Are you, are you a happy person, would you say? I think so. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I tell you what, I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky. I mean, look, look, I live here, right? I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my dog, and I do a job that involves watching films and then talking about it. Yeah. And then in between that, I play double bass in a rockabilly band. I mean, yes. seriously. And you're really good, Mark. Well, that's very kind. You are. But the thing is... Because I, the Stray Cats were my favourite, you nah, see, when I was growing up, so I was like, the, the double yeah, bass, Slim Jim. Yeah, but the thing with the Stray Cats <laughs> is the Stray Cats are a poor impression of the Polecats. I was very, very good friends with Tim Polecat. The Polecats were a brilliant rockabilly band. Mm. They were really young. With that first album, that live and rocking album, which only came out late, I think Tim must have been 14, 15. What happened with the Stray Cats was with her originally Brian Setzer and the Eight Balls. They are brilliant musicians. Right. They came over to, they looked at the Polecats and they thought, that's a good look, we'll take that They look. were a little bit more yeah. and so what the they Atomic were, Kitten version of it. <laughs> yes, but also, as Tim said, they could play better. I mean, Brian Setzer yeah, is a brilliant right. guitarist. And so, although the Stray Cats were technically the better band, the Polecats were the proper band. Well, you know, me and my sister did a thing, I don't know if this, but we were of the generation where we would, um, which is, I guess it was the early 80s or whatever, but we would we would, or late 70s, we would call, you know, do prank calls on people, I'm afraid. <laughs> that was the, our most fun thing. And we'd ring random numbers. That's so depressing to yeah, hear. But listen to what we would do. Our prank calls were so innocent. In retrospect, they were actually, we were providing a service. We'd say, okay. hello, this is a new service from British Telecom. We would like to play you know a that song there are laws down the phone. Now, don't you? <laughs> we said, we'd like to play a song down the phone to you. And we played Stray Cat Struck, because that was our favourite song. Right. And they'd just listen to it and they'd go, thank you. And then it was only... Okay. Sure I thought, well, I, I have to say, okay, as prank calls go, that's fairly benign. <laughs> that's, you know... We're just wasting our bill. Well, I never yeah. did that. I was no. always, I was always a, well, within reason, I was a fairly sort of well-behaved kid. Yeah, but. I can imagine that. Um, I love the fact that you've said you like lo Love Actually. Oh, I love Love Actually. Which yeah. is, I love Love Actually. Yeah. And I know it's because your wife... There was a sweet thing I read about how she watched it when she was away from the kids and she really missed you guys. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah. That, that story's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. But that, do you think that's why you thought, I'm going to give this a chance because if Linda likes it, there must be something in it? No, I always liked it. I mean, I love Richard Curtis. I, I mean, do. I, I know that people you know, can be sniffy about him, but they can get lost. Um, uh, why do you think they are sniffy about him? Oh, you know, because, because Richard Curtis films are really interesting because they do, they do something which is... They demonstrate perfectly the desire between seeing a film and watching a film, right? It is possible to see a Richard Curtis film and go, that's wrong with it, that's wrong with it, that's manipulative, that's a choice. This bit is, you know, gender positive, I don't like this, that and the other, right? Or you can watch it and actually understand what it's about. And I think that the thing is, firstly, I think he's funny, properly funny. Mm. Secondly, I think he does sentimentality which is a massively underrated talent in a way that is really well judged and the other thing is i think he's completely benign um in his approach i don't think he's nasty in any way and i know that some people said oh if you look at these films the gender politics of them are, you know are very pernicious yes. and there's a lot of revisionism of them now isn't there people there is saying, and yeah. i you know i can understand but i don't think 
my own feeling is I don't think he comes from anything other than a, this sounds terrible, but other than a very loving, generous place. And I, I think that when he gets things wrong, you know, there are scenes in his films I think well, that's terrible, yeah. but I don't care. No, you know? me too. And well, Love it's... Actually, I just love to. The two best bits in Love Actually. The, be, the bit in Love Actually when, when, uh, when Emma Thompson does the crime, <gasps> right? Which is brilliant. Oh. Yeah, fine. But the other bit in Love Actually, which everyone, which everyone... Yeah, fine, fine, come on. But the other bit in Love Actually, which everyone forgets, <laughs> is the bit when Laura Linney comes home with oh. the hunk, yeah? And she goes, Do you, would you mind just waiting there a minute? And he waits by the door, and she just goes around the other side of the balcony, and she goes... Yeah, I love her. And then she goes, okay, that's fine, that's good. And then yeah. that moment is so oh, brilliant. jumping up and down, by the way. In case yeah, it's people. just, you know, yeah. she sort of runs on the spot and does this, and then she... And it's so perfect... Because it's right. It was so human and it was so yeah. in character. And it was, I've really been enjoying your, um, you've got on ACAST, which is my home as well. Yes. Um, hello. I do this, hello ACAST people. <laughs> it's called Mark Kermode on Film. It's called Kermode Ker- on Film. Kermode. Right, mate. Now you see, you slip back into the old ways. I can't believe. But no, but that's fine. It's what happens. Is people say, I told on. you at the beginning of this podcast Kermode. I wasn't going to do yeah. that. It's fine. Kermode. Kermode, yeah, yeah. Kermit, you're right. Kermit. Think like a frog. <laughs> and they're really brilliant, actually, because Thank some you. of them are. I didn't realise this, but some of them are your BFI. Some of the BFI shows, yeah. Once shows a month that you do once show. a month. Yep. And some of them, it's just brilliant. It's just the, the Kermode rants. Yeah. Some, so some of them are just me talking about films. Some of them are the interviews. worst films. You might do the yeah. worst. And I loved it when you were going through the worst and best films. Yeah, that was fun. That was really good fun. Yeah. And then we did this thing recently when I went back to the Straw Dogs house. In Cornwall, yeah. because I did that documentary with Susan George. There's some great ago. interviews on there. Yeah, it's nice. The Glenn it's, Close it's... one I loved as well. Oh, thank you. That was weird because she, she was, was on a she was on a mobile phone in Montana, and yeah. I was on a mobile phone in my house, and I and it had been very difficult to get the technicals to work. I went, oh, hey, you know, hey, fine, I've got to switch her. She said, where are you? I said. I'm in the New Forest. She went, I'm in Montana. I said, what can you see? She said, I can see mountains. I said, I can see deer. She went, okay, this is fine. <laughs> I really liked it though because it was fascinating for me hearing her talking about fatal attraction. Yeah. Which was obviously, you know, I would have been what? When did that come out? Mid- late 80s or something? Yeah, so I would yeah. I would be 17, 18. Yeah. And it's weird again. Actually, I have to be honest, when you talk about Richard Curtis and I think because it comes from quite a benign place. Yes. I don't see that as dangerous. You know, I, yeah. There's no dangerous ideology that I would be worried about my sure, sure, niece sure. or children or anyone sure. like that watching. I feel with Fatal Attraction, that was interesting what she said about... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the changed version is, is wrong. It's yeah. wrong, and it's, it's kind of maliciously wrong. Yeah. Because that's what the audience wanted. Linda did a, wrote a book about erotic thrillers in cinema. She went from being a, 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 you know, somebody who was And when you say the changed character. version, in case people don't know, there was... So, okay, in the original test version... Test screenings weren't there. Yeah, the original version of Fatal Attraction, the whole point about the Alex character is that she's very damaged mm. and she, she sort of brushes up against Michael Douglas and they have this relationship which doesn't mean anything to him but suddenly means everything to her. And she then won't let him go. Yeah. And the narrative as it ends in the thing is that she starts doing things that cause his family to fall apart, famously the, bu- the bunny boiler. Yeah. And then at the end, she turns up at his house and attempts to kill... Yeah. Everyone, and she gets she gets killed. She gets shot by Anne Archer. Mm. Everyone thinks, well, that's not what happened. What happened originally was, she's she goes to see. She buys a ticket for Madame Butterfly, which is her favourite opera. She sends a ticket to him. He doesn't come to to it. She goes on her own. Yeah. She watches Madame Butterfly, and then she goes home. And to the strains of Madame Butterfly, you see her cut her own throat. Right. Then what happens is, earlier on in the film, there's a bit when she picked up a knife and Michael Douglas has taken the knife off her and the knife has got his fingerprints on it. Right. The police turn up, they find her dead and his fingerprints on the knife. So right. it's like she got him from the grave. In the version that they actually filmed, they then put this Philip in, yeah. which was that, that Anne Archer then finds a tape that she sent, That's it, yeah. which says, I'll kill myself, yeah. which kind of then gets him off the hook, yeah, which was yeah. always... A bit, but in the original version... He goes to prison. So it's like, it's like she got him from the grave. It's film noir. But you do know. you think also everyone, there is a sense that people have to feel, I think there's a lot of pressure, I would imagine, 
to feel the audiences are leaving thinking, but I'm okay. You know, everything's going to be okay. These people aren't going to disturb my life. And I remember you said something once about when you saw Blue Velvet <laughs> and you felt uncomfortable and you didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. But I love that, Mark, because yes. I thought actually maybe when you return to something, those are the things that leave the yeah. people that challenge you a bit. Yeah, and all the films that I love the most, I mean, my favourite film of all time is The Exorcist, which is profoundly disturbing. Oh. Um, it takes a while to get used to that. And of course, when everyone saw Fatal Attraction the first time, they went, no, 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 no. She has to get killed. She yeah. cannot kill herself. And the famous story is that the test screening audience screamed, kill the bitch. And that was the kind of the moment. And, oh, you know, and Glenn Close has always said that wasn't how she wrote that story. She wasn't, yeah. she, it wasn't how she played that character. That yeah. wasn't her. Yeah. You know, you're actually meant to sympathise with Alex and feel like the Michael Douglas character is a, you know, he's a, he's a creep. And of course, then the other irony of it is that they did open the Madame Butterfly version in Japan and it did really well. <gasps> and the, the studio explained it away by saying that the Japanese had a different sensibility. And I wrote a piece about this once, which said, which was basically the, the, the equivalent of the studio saying, the Japanese audiences are smart, the rest of you are stupid, <laughs> you know. We're getting back to your home now, and you've yeah. got to go to London, you're yes. a busy man. I have a question to ask yes. you, which is um, quite a thing to bring up at this late juncture. <laughs> you go to church, and yeah. I ask you that because Frank, who I present the radio show with, uh, Frank yep. Skinner, he, as he says, he says, I follow the Nazarene. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Catholic. Yeah. And do you know what? From spending time with him, I've learned to realise how important it is to him. And I respect it. And I think, I think it's quite a bold choice now. As he says, everyone in the media is an atheist. It's cool. Do you have a sense of... I never did that? it to annoy... I, never, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I mean, it's, you know... I, you know have I'm, you always I'm, had that, Mark? What, the not caring what no. anyone else thinks? Well, the, yeah, the... both, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I was brought up a Methodist and I went to, I went to, you know, church when I was younger. And then, I mean, as I've always said, you don't obsess about The Exorcist the whole of your life if you're not fundamentally <laughs> interested in that stuff. I became very good friends with Bill Blatty. I genuinely think that people's beliefs are a personal thing. And I don't mean, don't, don't ask about it. What I mean is, you know, I, I think that people's beliefs are people's beliefs. And I think that it's a question of, of whatever works for you. I don't, I don't, I'm not doctrinal at all. Mm. My father once quoted, the belief in a specific knowledge of God is a very terrible thing. Meaning if you think that you specifically understand, that is, an, you know, is, a, is not a great thing. I like church, I always have done. I, you know, I'm friends with people who are militant atheists. I mean, I'm friends with people who are Catholics and Jewish and, you know, yeah. uh, Muslim and whatever works. The thing is, it's always been a part of my life and it's never been a part of my life that I've felt the need to turn my back on and it's seen me through some difficult times. So, Has you it? Know, yeah. What, just feel it like depression or? No, just, you know, everyone's life has its ups and downs. Yeah. And, you know, you, it's a sort of, it's a constant there for me. It's, it, you know, I believe in it, but then, you know, I, I believe that George Lazenby was the star of the best Bond movie. So what do I know? <laughs> you know, it's like. I really enjoyed today. Yeah. Did you like our walk? It was great. Thank you. It was very nice. And I, mean, I think I, everyone know. should listen to Mark's podcast because it's brilliant. Well, thank you. I mean, I, you know, this is, it's, not, it's, it's nice to do it whilst walking the dogs. Because obviously Martha got a, <laughs> got a long walk out of it. And it is, uh, you know, and, uh, but thank you very much. And thank you for coming all this way down. And it's uh, Oh, it's a, such a treat. Am I really... I've learned a whole new word. You know. <laughs> so have I. Kermo. Kermo, yeah. And I've learned outlier. <laughs> well, you Google it now. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.